Is that better? Uh-huh. Mute. <laughs> I'm good with technology most of the time. Okay, well, we are carrying on in our um, series on Philippians and tonight looking at joy and harmony. So I want to ask you, you might be like me, when have you ever misheard somebody and it causes confusion or hilarity? Yeah, so I'm a bit known for this in my family. One of the things that I have trouble with is song lyrics. And I've always kind of misheard them. And one of the family jokes is this song here. Jonathan, can you... uh... So, that says we've been missing each other, but I thought it said we've been to Sydney together. (laughs) And... um, So um, every time we head up north, the kids always remind me and they want to play this song. I don't know how I got this, but anyway. And as a teenager, I found some songs quite confusing due to this mishearing of lyrics. And one of them that particularly caused confusion was the following one. Can you play that, Jonathan, please? So um, you probably can't guess my problem with this one, but I actually thought that instead of ebony and ivory, it said heaven and library. I don't know why. And I was at school and I was like, I don't get that song. Like, why would heaven and library sit side by side on the piano keyboard? And they were like, you're so stupid. But anyway, so whatever you think about this song, hopefully we've got some lyrics, um... Harmony is something that seems hard to achieve, doesn't it? And this song was about racial harmony. And, yeah, it probably dates me a bit, but that's okay. Um, and it was a, it was a hit song, and um, Paul McCartney looks rather young there, doesn't he? <laughs> um, but whatever you think about it, it is harmony, isn't it? It's hard for us to get on with other people, it seems, no matter who they are. And just a reminder tonight that as we go into this book of Philippians, it is first and foremost a letter, as David reminded us the other week, um, a letter to the church at Philippi. So there are actually asides and little by-the-ways and lots of personal touches in it. Um, And we actually can see the sorts of issues that Paul was thinking about, what was on his mind, and he gives some specific examples. It's kind of like a window into the life of the church, I think. These four verses that we're looking at tonight might at first glance just not seem very important and we could gloss over them, but I actually think we're going to learn some very interesting things from them. So let's uh, read this passage. So Philippians 4, 2-5. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So we don't actually know anything much about these women. They're named in the Bible but we don't know anything much else about them. We know that they had in common their relationship with God and their work for the gospel. So their names, as Paul says, along with many other co-workers of Paul, were written in the Book of Life. Um, And this term, Book of Life, is used just a few times in the Bible. And in the New Testament, it essentially is talking about the list or 
they call roster of believers, those who have made that commitment to Christ. And at the last judgment, all who are written in the book of life will receive eternal life. And in Luke 10, 20, Jesus makes this point to the disciples. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but that your names are written in the book of life, that your names are written in heaven. So I think Paul was trying to say these women had value, they were hard workers, but there was some dispute that they were having that was weakening their witness and their usefulness. Now that would never happen in any other church, would it? But instead of disagreement, Paul encourages them to find their common ground in the gospel and to be helped with this. And that's an interesting point. Now, mediation sometimes is necessary, isn't it? So Paul suggests that his true companion, some translations give a name, but I don't think that's actually important. We don't really know. Whoever that may be, to help out and pave the way. Being a peacemaker is a worthy role. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That's pretty cool. So Paul then goes on to remind the Philippians to be joyful and to continually seek harmony with others, to forbear, to be reasonable, patience, gentleness, depending on your translation. But why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord sees all. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? They're often those that we disagree with the most are those that we work alongside. Those that I've had the most conflict issues with have been those that I've worked most closely with. Their values and all their focus has clashed with mine and vice versa. And it can be really difficult to work through, to forgive and to seek reconciliation. But the overarching theme of these few verses, as we've been looking all the way through Philippians, is the joy that we find in actually being in harmony with other people, working together with them. So what does that word or the concept harmony mean to you? I think that it means different things often to different people. Just some dictionary definitions show you that there's five different ideas here. Compatibility in opinion and action. That sounds reasonable. Well, the structure of music with respect to composition and the progression of chords. A harmonious state of things in general and of their properties, like colours and sounds. Congruity of parts with one another and with the whole. Agreement of opinions or an agreeable sound property, a harmony. So you might be thinking of things like a great work of art. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. Or you might think of a flower arrangement. World peace. Don't know what I'm doing wrong here. That was well. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, living in harmony with nature. That's a big catchphrase at the moment, isn't it? Also, music. We might think of harmony in the choir. And actually, music is full of the concept, as we've already seen, there are many songs written about peace and harmony. So we often crave order and harmony, and we don't like disorder and disharmony. Hence, Marie Kondo. Now, Gavin said you have to explain who she is, because I don't know who she is, but she basically cleans people's stuff. She likes mess. And she says, does it spark joy? 
So people want order, don't they? They want order out of, in their life and harmony. So this concept of living in peace and harmony with others is so important to us, we even have a Nobel Peace Prize, don't we, to celebrate those who have worked for peace. It's a bit of an interesting collection if you read it through. Now Paul sees it as vital for gospel progress, harmony, working together, and frequently encourages harmonious working together. In fact, as I looked through the scriptures to look at where, he, where things are said about working in harmony, Almost every letter of Paul actually has this statement, some form of a statement to living and working in harmony, which is actually quite curious and quite interesting because we often see Paul as quite a strong and uncompromising leader, don't we? He was actually beaten, stoned, kicked out, all sorts of things for what he actually said at times. doesn't sound very harmonious. But obviously, he viewed this as being important. So I'm just going to run through some passages and see if you get the idea of this. So in Romans 12.10, he said, Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. In Romans 12, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Romans 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. It's in a list like that. Romans 14, you then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let's stop passing judgment on each other. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Romans 14:19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, building up others. Romans 15, may the God who gives us endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Corinthians, the beginning of the letter, first letter to the Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And then at the end of 2 Corinthians, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. In Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And, and later in that chapter, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. 
It's important to remember that this is to Christians. Each one of these books are written to Christians. In Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, hold them, your leaders in the Lord, that is, in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And there are many others I could quote. And of course, this letter to Philippians itself has a number of statements. Now, Paul didn't just pick this concept out of the air. It is obviously important to him, isn't it, to just say it over and over and over again. We actually see it totally in line with Jesus' teachings. In fact, Jesus talks about um, there are two commandments, basically. The first commandment being to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he essentially says that that sums up the Ten Commandments. The first four, to love God, and the remaining six, to love others, to love your neighbor. And in the Gospel of John, we actually see this teaching of Jesus most clearly. Um, just at the last sort of discussion he had with the, when he washed the disciples' feet and had this sort of talk with them before he went to be crucified, one of the things he talked about was how they should treat each other. So it must be pretty important, parting words kind of thing. So in John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Why? By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command, love each other. You know, Jesus exhorts the disciples to love one another <coughs> when they're happy and so that they'd be happy and comfortable. No, actually so that the world will see that they are God's disciples. It's to actually reflect the Father, to reflect God to the world. Um, and he even exhorted us to show love to our enemies and then redefined who our neighbour was. Because they were saying, well, your neighbour is just the people like your friends and the people in your family. And Jesus redefined that too, didn't he? And in Matthew 5, 38, so earlier on in the um, Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard that the law of Moses says, if an eye is injured, injure the eye of the person who did it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If you are slapped on the right cheek, then turn the other too. You've heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. You know, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? If you are kind only to your friends, how will you be different from anyone else? So I think this message is pretty clear, isn't it? And as we discussed in my recent sermon on unity, it doesn't mean that we then agree on everything and that we all think the same like little clones. Being of the same mind is what's important. 
seeking the same purpose and the good of others. And Paul is saying our common ground is the gospel. That's why communion is so powerful. So why is it so hard to achieve? Because most often we see disharmony, don't we, and conflict. Does simply agreeing with others just solve that disharmony problem? I don't think so. See, we are individuals and we're different, but we've got to actually work through our differences. The tendency we have often is to sweep things under the carpet, just pretend we don't exist. We don't have a problem with each other. Or we just ignore that person and we avoid them. Because that's easier, isn't it? And some of us have been raised in very situations like that. What is more healthy and more biblical is to bring those differences out into the open and actually work towards the common ground. Forgiveness and reconciliation are incredibly powerful, as Matt has already referred to in communion. If I ask for forgiveness and I offer apologies, how they're received, though, is not actually my business, is it? And reconciliation is a whole level up. Being reconciled actually means forgiving and being forgiven and then finding new ground to live and work together. So it's pretty simple for me to say, isn't it? but really hard to do in practice. Now, I'm kind of amazed at how often people assume that when they ask for forgiveness, we just have to do that once, and then all's forgiven and sorted, and we can just move on. My experience, it doesn't really work like that. Harmonious reconciliation is actually really time-consuming, and it requires love and patience and understanding. Now, Mary Slessor was a missionary in Calabar, Africa, in the 19th century. And after she had lived among those people for 20 years, and she was in her late 40s, she was made British vice-consul and settled disputes between tribes. Now, this position was made due to the great experience that she had and success among these people. To sit down and to talk instead of killing each other was a bit of a new thing for these people in the Okeong region. And Mary patiently taught these people how to present their cases to her. So she would sit down in the shade of a kapok tree, take out her knitting, and then she would just start. And as she clicked away with her knitting needles, she would ask the group on one side to present their problem, and then the other group to say what it thought. Now this would go on sometimes for up to 36 hours. Would you be that patient? And they would just repeat the same information over and over again. The chiefs to try and convince her that their story really was the right one and not his. And then he would try and convince her that his story was the right one. And she would just let them just keep going. And then finally, when she sensed that everyone was kind of worn out, sick of talking, then she would ask each of them, sum up your arguments, and then she would announce the decision. Pretty crazy, isn't it? But bit by bit, she actually worked to change some of the cruel practices of the Okeong region. And it took a long time, but by 1896, there was basic law and order in place. I think she is an incredible woman. When, after she died, four missionaries were put in place of her because of the work that she did. Over her time, she saw the raiding of villages to capture slaves stopped, There were no more human sacrifices at funerals, few women drunkards, and many men were sober a lot of the time. 
Twins were hardly ever killed, and the mother of twins was more than often let to live. She went there from Scotland with only a Bible, but I think incredible courage and her faith in God. Mary had helped to change many cruel customs and therefore the culture of a region. But she understood something very important, that conflict resolution was not a quick process and that all the parties must feel heard. I think the other side to this is what I call harmony stealers. These are the attitudes and the actions that prevent forgiveness and reconciliation. Last time I spoke, I spoke about the need for humility in order to achieve unity. I think that is still really important when we seek harmony and reconciliation. When we seek others' interests and their needs above our own, it works towards harmony. And Paul was obviously repeating this message again and again and again in his letters to various churches. So to exist, to live and work in harmony, we actually have to put away the things that work against it, like anger and jealousy, selfishness, pride, gossip and slander. Those things destroy harmony and they destroy people. Put on instead, Paul says, forbearance, patience and gentleness. Now it raises another aspect in churches that I observe. Sometimes we don't allow people to upset the harmony in our community or our friendship group. A bit of a musical analogy works well here. Ever since I was a small child, I wanted to learn to play the cello. And for many years I was told, you're too small, you have to wait. So I learnt the recorder, I learnt the piano, I learnt the violin, nobody wanted to hear that. But really I still longed to be allowed to play the cello. Finally, I was deemed big enough for a full-size cello when I was 13 years old. And I was just starting secondary school. I was ecstatic. It was a pretty bad old cello that they gave you at school, but that didn't matter. Now, every year in our city, Town Hall, we had a secondary schools music festival. So all sorts of groups from all the secondary schools in our city would get together and would perform pieces. So they might come with a jazz band, a quartet, or a choir, lots of things. Um, but the highlight for me was a citywide orchestra. And we beginning cellists were looking forward to this. We're pretty excited. But there's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Anybody who knows what beginning string players sound like it's not a good thing. It takes a while. Um, and we had only been learning our instruments for less than a year. So we're pretty basic playing. Our cello teacher, though, she said, don't worry about that. You can be part of this, but you can just play the double bass part. Now, anyone who's played in an orchestra probably know what I mean by this. The double bass part is pretty boring, usually. So you have lots of counting rests and a few bows, and then a whole lot more rests, which you've got to count. But we didn't actually care, because we were in. We were in the orchestra. We got to play along. Imagine if our teacher had said to us, I'm sorry, you're not good enough, you'll just have to wait. I think a few of us would have given up and just checked out. But then fast forward to year 12, when we were up the front of that cello section playing every part, and it sounded a lot better, I can tell you. I think some of us would have just given up. Now, we can be like that in our church communities, I think. 
someone comes along, someone comes in our door and they don't know how it works. They don't know what notes to play to fit in to this harmony. Or they play a note that's different and we're not sure what to do with that. We don't like it. We don't like the sound. So what do we do? We say, you don't fit. You can't be part of our harmony. And so we don't welcome them or accept them. I think this is wrong. I think what we need to do is to say, accept a little bit of disharmony. But we need to show patience and gentleness and actually take the time to get alongside those people and to welcome and to listen and to teach them and to actually show them how to play along. It's like when people join Wacom, they don't usually start by playing full-on Sunday morning in the worship team. They might start at youth, they might start in the practices, they just get drawn into that until they're in a position where they can be fully involved. That is the basis of discipleship. And I would ask you, how do you know how to follow Jesus' teachings? Essentially because somebody has taken the time to show you how and to encourage you. So our goal is to work side by side for the gospel. We want Jesus to be preached and accepted and understood. We don't need to be comfortable and undisturbed by other people. In Romans 15, turn 3, it says, Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. So I want to ask you, have a think, where do you sit in all this? Are you seeking harmony with others? Evaluate the attitudes and the actions that might work against this. What about anger? Am I easily angered by others' actions and attitudes? Jealousy. Do I feel threatened by others who I work alongside, envying their gifts and their abilities, wishing that I was noticed more? Selfishness. Is it all about me? Or can I actually take joy in seeing others succeed? Pride. Do I forget that all I have and all I am comes from God? Forgetting to be humble and to seek others' interests above my own. Gossip. Now this can be particularly damaging. Am I careful about how I speak about others? Do I tend to pull people down rather than build them up? Can I hold my tongue? You know, if we hold on to resentment and pride and jealousy, we will actually never experience that joy that Paul is talking about. One of the greatest joys of my life is actually working alongside others for the gospel, and many of you here are included in that. Now, as I was preparing this message, a situation like this came to mind for me. And some years ago, I worked alongside someone who was a similar stage of life to me, but I really clashed with them on a number of occasions. And over a series of events, our relationship ended up fairly negative. As I was pondering this passage, God challenged me to deal further with this situation. He challenged me to seek forgiveness, to forgive and to seek reconciliation. So I've taken steps to do that. The result is in God's hands. But you know, I can't get up and preach a message like this if I will not listen to it myself. And this is not, I'm not talking myself up to say this is good of me, but it's an acknowledgement that God's word should be continually challenging and shaping us. And sometimes 
It's quite painful and difficult, isn't it? But ultimately, freeing. As Cade shared in his testimony last week, forgiveness of others is a step towards knowing freedom and peace, no matter what the other party does with that. So it brings a, a thought, as Matt was referring to a communion, about how hard it is for us to change ourselves. So I don't want you to go away and think, oh, this is just like a big list of things I don't do right and I've got to fix. Change can seem impossible. But, you know, when we belong to Jesus, because of the cross, we actually have his spirit within us and he guides us and he encourages us and he gives us the power to do his will. So just ask him and then listen and then obey. So I encourage you now just to sit quietly and ponder what God might be saying to you. Are there those that you need to seek or give forgiveness to and then work towards reconciliation? In Jesus' words, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, there is real lasting joy to be found when we live and work alongside others in harmony. So as soon as I pray, I'm just going to have a bit of silence for a while initially. Um, and just, yeah, ponder and pray, what is it that God might be saying to you? Is there some relationship that you need to seek to fix? Is there an attitude that you have that you need to repent of and ask God's forgiveness? Seek that joy. Seek to work alongside others so that the world does know who God is. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it is that double-edged sword that teaches us, that <laughs> reminds us, that challenges us of what you want and who you are. And Lord, I just pray tonight that as, as we um, reflect on what you might be saying to us, that you would give us courage and that you would give us the power to do what is right. And that people would look and say, look how they love one another. Who is this God that would cause that in these people's lives? And we just thank you that it is because of you, because of your death on the cross, and that God raised you again, that we could, can actually have this life, that we do not need to live in our sins and our frustrations and our guilt but that we can have that freedom, the freedom of walking with you in joy and walking with each other in harmony. I just pray that you would just show each one of us where it is that you want us to grow and change. 
and help us to be a community that loves and accepts, that creates a whole new harmony sound with everyone of equal value. In Jesus' name, amen.